All right, this is the Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> We've got a uh, fantastic guest. We have E.J. Gibson. Is that right? That's right. E.J. Gibson. He is a, uh, an artist, an actor, I believe a director as well, of Ubuntu. Yeah, uh, just just actor, but uh, oh, okay. maybe one day directing. Yeah, maybe one day. All right. <laughs> now, are you a member of Ubuntu, or are you, are you just a hired actor? I am. Yeah, I'm a company member, uh, uh, an artistic associate, so I, I help out in uh, really any capacity that I can and that I'm needed. Right on. When available. Cool, cool. Mm. As I begin uh, this uh, week, as always, I mean, as I begin the podcast, always, how was your week, Norman? I'm back to work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today, actually, and so by mm-hmm. the time people hear this, it will already have happened, but uh, summer, winter, spring, the uh, time-lapse film that I've been working on mm-hmm. um, goes up at a gallery. It's going to be an installation at this gallery um, in San Francisco, the uh, Minnesota Street Project, wow. which is on the backside, on the bay side of um, Potrero Hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, so today is the opening for that. And as part of the opening, we're going to do a little bit of a live performance thing with the projected film. Um, the film, we had a rehearsal last night. And it in the space, the film is going to, it's gorgeous. It is, it is wonderful the way it captures this world of San Francisco. I mean, it really is sort of a moving postcard to San Francisco. You see that Civic Center Plaza, mm-hmm. the... Um, not, you know, the uh, UN Plaza, so yeah. it's yeah. connected. But you can see <laughs> off in the distance in s- many of the shots, you can see City, City Hall. Hall. Right. Um, but a lot of it just captures the life that's going on in that in mm-hmm. that plaza. And then the things that we're doing and then adding live performers onto that. So you see us projected on the screen. And one of the <laughs> things that he was doing yesterday was sizing some of the figures so that they're almost, at points, they're almost life-size, wow. which means when you stand, we're going to be placed in the room doing stuff. You'll see a figure of us, and then there we are in the same costume sometimes. So there's going to be these neat relationships. Yeah, that'll be wild. And then on the 26th and 27th, we'll actually have a full performance, um, live performance with uh, live music. And I don't even know how to credit some of this stuff. I mean, there's a woman who's going to be playing things like bicycle tire and, you know, um, this... Um, rolling trash bin that we have. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, she, yes, she she does music on that. Notes and then and we'll everything. be moving and stuff. Yeah, wow. it's it's going to be a trip. I mean, when we did, we did a work in progress of it. She played some of that with a bow. So that's going on. Um, we did, and it was funny, I had within 24 hours, I had done some rehearsals on that. So how do we make project, how do you work with projections? Mm-hmm. You know, and that that first rehearsal for us for summer, winter, or spring was how close can we get? Because if you get right up against it, then you become part of the projected screen, mm. but your shadow becomes part of the image. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you can play with that, and that's cool. Otherwise, you got to stay away from it. And then the next day, um, Lucia Berlin Project is going to be doing some projections, <coughs> and there we're real specific about you know we got to be four feet away from the screen. Um, so we can never go that far upstage, mm-hmm. farther than that upstage. Mm-hmm. But um, when you're telling a story, and especially with a piece of literature, you don't want to 
you want to stay within the author's voice. So you don't want to overstate something. You don't want to be redundant. Mm. You know, I'm picking up a cup as you're picking up a cup. You know, <laughs> unless that stuff is in the text. You, and then even then in the text, you don't. You want to figure out what stuff mm-hmm. needs to be literal, what what needs to be visual, and what stuff you can let the text do the work. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm walking down the street. You you know, you're on a stage. You mm-hmm. can't really walk that far, so you really need to make it a step or two. So, all that work is starting to happen. Yeah. And then on top of it, my friend Elizabeth Carter, mm-hmm. who's in Black Rider, which I definitely want to talk about. I mm-hmm. went to see. We got to get her on because you've mentioned her name several times. Yeah. Um, well, she's today. Um, so this week. Uh, she had uh, directed a piece called Bondage for the Altar Theater up in – is it Altar? I think it's Altar. Altarina? Um, I, I think it's Altar up in uh, Marin. Okay. And uh, she had done this piece last year, and it got invited to come and do – ACT does these projects where, you know, these – they basically invite these performances in. So they're bringing in other groups. Oh. That's to cool. be at the uh, the costume shop mm-hmm. the, at the Strand on Market. Mm-hmm. Um, oh so, wow, that's that's pretty big. Yeah. So they're going to have, I think, six performances, and today is the preview. Mm-hmm. And so taking this show that she's already done, and then trying to fit it into that space has been a major challenge. And they've been they had very little time to do it. So I ended up subbing for her the other day. So this is where my teaching life and my theater life sort of merge because I'm taking the stuff, the Lucia Berlin short stories, and I took them into her classrooms mm-hmm. at, at School of the Arts and gave them basic a sort of a primary, this is the nuts and bolts of how this form works, and gave them a chance to kind of experience it. And I told her, you know, I really wish it was a two-class lesson because the next step would be to give them just text, give them a short story uncut, unadjusted for stage and mm-hmm. say, now use these tools that you learned about and you go ahead and do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, my world is spinning <clears throat> in that way. And I went and I saw Black – go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you a question um, because, you know, you – you so you do the experimental theater stuff like um, uh, time-lapse film. Right. But then you also have uh, le- the traditional theater stuff like, let's say, you know, uh, Hamlet. Hamlet and that yeah. sort of stuff. Do you have to use two different brains? Because I don't really do a lot of experimental theater sort of stuff based um, on movement and other things. You have um, you have an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the things we talked about is you can't let <laughs> – There's a little hum. Who knows where the hum is coming oh, okay. from? Uh, there's um, – like when you're working with a projected thing, that becomes – it'd be like working up on platforms in a set. You are restricted by the physical boundaries of the platform. You can't mm-hmm. just jump off of a four-foot platform. Some yeah. people can. Some people sure better not. Right, right. <laughs> you got an older <laughs> member of the cast. It's like, no, we're going to have some stairs, or somebody's right. going to grab you and take your hand and right. get you down. Yeah. You know, you have to be careful in the same way when you're working with a protected <laughs> surface. Because what we're doing, and, and this does fit with uh, Black Rider at Shotgun Players, which runs for one more weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen in Shotgun. And it definitely plays with what that audience expectation is. And they break the fourth wall a few times, but they do some other things as well. They've got a live band on a high platform up above them mm-hmm. at the back of the stage. You can't help but watch that band. Mm. There are moments you can't help but watch what they're doing. And it's not what that what is happening on stage isn't interesting. It's that the director added that into his aesthetic. 
So if you're a performer, you have to know that. Um, one of the things they say at Cal Shakes all the time is Cal Shakes performs outdoors, right, in their mm-hmm. big auditorium. If it's a foggy night, they tell you, it doesn't matter what you're doing on stage. The audience is going to watch the swirl of the fog in the lights because and then you can't help it. It's beautiful. It looks like a Van Gogh painting mm-hmm. come to life. Yeah. doesn't matter what the actors are doing on stage. Right. You could be dying and bleeding on stage. I'm going, ooh, look at that. Yeah. So you have to know that these are part of your aesthetic, and you have to factor them in. Mm-hmm. When you're doing something like time lapse, it's more like, and it is actually movement. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the places where as a union actor, I always have to ask the question. It's like, well, wait a minute. You're not talking. You're moving. So you are not an actor. You're a dancer. And I'm like, okay, but I ain't doing no fancy dance moves. I'm standing there or I'm moving slow. That's mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. Well, technically, you're acting. I think. I mean, you're you're. Well, you're. It's so. It's the same thing that we always talk about in acting. That you, any the moment you step on the stage, you have to be conscious, right? That you are a. That is part of your character, part of your performance. Mm-hmm. You are not off stage when you're on stage, even if you're not saying anything, even if you don't feel like. In Death of a Salesman, EJ and I were in Death of a Salesman. Yeah. We spent the whole show on stage, sitting yeah. on stage, watching the performance, but part of it at the same time. Yeah. You have to bring a certain life to what you're doing. And so it just reinforces that notion that even when you're in a straight play, Mm -hmm. if you're on stage and the other actors or the other two actors have a big dialogue between them, the playwright puts you there. Yeah, you have to have a presence about you. Yeah, you have to stay present. You have to stay present, yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, I can't rave enough about Black Rider. Black Rider is incredible. <laughs> I've made myself a promise as a theater artist mm-hmm. that I should see a two shows a month. If I see two shows a month, I feel like I've done my, my part for the theater community. If I see more than that, great. But right. mm-hmm. And I'm realizing what that means is, as my friends, because EJ's in Streetcar, Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's coming up. And so I'm just going to put that on my calendar and know that <laughs> one of the shows I'm going to see is a show that – I have some involvement with because I'm involved with Ubuntu, yes, but I'm also knowing that when my friends are doing shows, that to me is a big part of the community. Yeah, I heard Barbecue was a great show at the SF Playhouse. I wish I could have seen it, and I know some people that were in it, so it was on my list, but it never got to the point where I was like, okay, I must make sure I get out to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You have to make those judgments and those choices. I'm yeah. going to instead go see the local play that my friends are involved in. Right. I'm going to support my yeah. local theater. Speaking of streetcar, how's the rehearsals going? You guys? Yeah, they're going well. We've uh, we were, we're uh, kicking them up. We're we're figuring out the set right now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but we're practicing or we're rehearsing rather in the venue. Are you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Which is, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Which yeah. is like a weird kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so that's that's good. We're getting the blocking down as it is. We, we don't have like all the um, set pieces. The set and pieces. Props, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So we're kind of. Putting stuff together, You're putting it together, yeah. and it may change, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, right, but, um, but yeah, no, it's coming together. Great cast. When, when you guys are up, I mean, when, uh, when, is, it op- when is opening night? February second. Okay, yeah, so three nice. weeks maybe. Yeah, it's right there. Okay, you still have books in your hand? I, uh, I, uh, uh, not. We're we're pretty well off book, I would say. Oh, good. But but yeah, we do have them like in our hand uh, a bit. Uh, yeah. But not but not for every scene. So. Yeah, I try to tell myself as an actor. Two weeks, I, I, I want to get the hand. I want to get off book as much as possible. Right. Sometimes I'll drive stage managers crazy because I will memorize my lines, but I'll paraphrase a lot. Sure. But I'll correct myself as the rehearsal process goes on and on. Right. I think it's way more important 
to get the script out of my hands and look uh, at my character. I mean, look at you know whoever I'm working with. Right. Instead I, of being absolutely right. I am so not that actor. I am so Mr. Security Blanket. The script is my <laughs> security blanket until you pull it out of my hands. Mm-hmm. And obviously I do get it out of my hands at certain points. But, yeah. you know, I, I yeah, I'm, I, I will admit to that insecurity. I'm like, ah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I'm, I'll, I, I'll sit down and, and read it, you know. 50 times in a row until right. I'm almost going to puke. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we've talked about different techniques of getting off book, of memorizing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Dan Wilson was on and we talked about handwriting and listening right. to it while you sleep and right. all that sort of stuff. The recorder. Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> no, they're, they're, whatever works for you. Right. You know, every mm. technique. And that's the other wonderful thing about getting involved. I'm, so we um, had a meeting just to kind of talk about some of the stuff that's going to happen with uh, Paris as um, word for word goes. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, Monday we start rehearsals formally, mm-hmm. but we, a bunch of us got together to just sort of check in and hear some stuff. And we also got to see the projections mm-hmm. and oh. <clears throat> it was very cool. Um, people have different ways of working <clears throat> and you have to make space yeah. for that other actor. They're not doing it the way you're doing it. Right. But if you get stiff and rigid about it, then all you're going to do is have a problem. It's going to be a conflict. If you get relaxed about it, you may find that you're pulled in directions that you weren't expecting to be pulled in that are useful. Right. And where it's not useful, now you can articulate what specifically isn't useful to you, and that may pull it back in the direction that you thought it wanted to go. But having that flexibility, it's sort of like a boat that's tied up at a dock. You can't. Have a stiff line. It's got to be. There's got to be some looseness. Yeah, yeah. got to go with the flow. That's true. Right. I think that's true. Kind of for for like just relationships in general, especially with like mentors. And, you know, sometimes you might not necessarily agree with stuff you hear, but right. for me, I'd rather listen yeah. and take what I will. I look at it as um, when I went back to D.C., we uh, went to uh, dinner, but it was sort of the. Um, what do you call it? The smorgasbord, or either oh, like what um, you will buffet. Yeah, it's like a buffet. Yeah. So I look at you know. Will deal with mentors, or when you have the flexibility, especially when it comes to technique, I'll take what's useful for me mm-hmm. and I'll leave what I don't need. Right. I don't have to eat everything that's on my plate, like you know your standard restaurant. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I sort of look at it. Yeah, it's and sometimes you kind of you know you have to know how to deal with the people that that will kind of try to impose their process on you or oh yeah or, or correct you on what you're doing what yeah. they think. But there's some directors right. who do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. actors too. <laughs> I, I learned because you get, you know, you get labeled a diva yeah. when you start making demands on stage. And I learned another way to do it is I totally do not agree with the direction that you just gave me, but I'm going to do it because you're the director. Right. And I used to do it sort of begrudgingly. And I realized, no, that's not going to work because they're going to see me being begrudging. And it's yeah. not about whether it's right or wrong. That's that energy suddenly gets a focus. So I'm like, instead, really commit to it as best I understand it. Really try to do what I think they asked me to do, mm-hmm. and hopefully they will see that they're wrong and I'm right. Yeah. But <laughs> if I really commit to it, a lot of times I find, oh, oh, that's what you're trying to ask me to do. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm a, and I'll make the adjustment. Yeah. Right. I own the adjustment, mm-hmm. and and it's funny. To I, get I have a lot of thoughts about that because especially with Susan Evans, uh, will. But yeah, I want to jump on uh, current events. And there have been tons of current events. Well, one more thing before current sure. events, though, is just uh, – so Rod Dibble died. Yes. And we've gone through for a couple of weeks now this memorial process. Last night was a little private event mm. um, for for the regulars. Yeah. 
Um, because one of the weirdest things with the other things is they were done at the alley, uh, which was wonderfully appropriate in many ways, mm-hmm. but it was also very public. Sure. Right. And so there were people who literally just wandered into the bar. It's like, whoa, there's all this food and and what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I want to be um, And this was a little more private. And mm-hmm. it was it was amazing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did get to wander through. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. It was Last like, week, um, we were trying to meet. And I, <laughs> and I had to send him a little text and go, you know, thought to note to self, <laughs> don't try to have a meeting at a memorial. It's just a bad <laughs> you idea. did say that. Yeah. 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 But um, so last night was sort of the tail end of this experience for us. And it was great because what they set up a little sound system. And they asked us to each talk about how we came to the alley and what the alley and what knowing Rod meant to us. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that was important, but I felt like equally important was to acknowledge that in the last couple of years, as his health has been debilitating and other people have had to step in, we have seen the transition. So I had to point out how some old timers who haven't been around in that period were asking the question, what's going to happen now? Which is what we were saying two years ago. I was very nervous and concerned. What's going to happen now that Rod is gone? Or mm-hmm. what's going to happen as Rod is on his way out? And that has already been handled. Oh, wow. And there's a whole new culture that is in place and doing <laughs> and thriving. Nice. And so I was like, that's important to acknowledge, not because we will ever forget Rod. We won't. Mm-hmm. He's in our hearts. And he's in the, the fabric of yeah. that scene, that culture. Mm-hmm. But it has also grown in new ways based on him. And that is going well, and that's to his honor. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting period to mm-hmm. go through, and I look forward to seeing how it moves into the, the future. The, he was the piano man. Yeah, yeah, he really was. A song that he hated, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How ironic. Yeah, it, it, it was wonderfully ironic. Mm-hmm. But yes, current events. There were tons of current events. I mean, I have stuff that I wrote down uh, like Monday. And then, of course, there's been tons of events that have happened oh, since then. Yeah. I have written down the H&M image. This is the black kid who had on the image. Oh, yes. The uh, the monkey thing. H&M is a company. It's a retail Fashion, company. yeah. And even LeBron James tweeted, you know, like, how can you have a company that would have a black kid as a um, – as a uh, basically, there's a teacher – there was a T-shirt that the uh, black kid had, I think um, – Favorite monkey or something like that. Silliest monkey in the jungle. Silliest monkey in the jungle. Right. And, of course, uh, there was a big reaction. H&M took it down. But it's like, how how do you have that up in the first place? Right. What were those meetings where y'all all all discussed this and nobody nobody on set? You're doing a photo shoot. Yeah. Nobody looked at that and went, "Mm, you know what? I know we're not trying to say anything messed up, but why don't we have them two little boys switch shirts? And yeah. we can get the same color if it was color that you wanted. Right. Get the same color, but switch what and, it says on it. And you heard about the other shirt? Uh, like there was a the uh, one with the kid, the white kid, um, the king of the jungle, or something. They said like uh, expert a survivalist uh, oh, the jungle, of the jungle. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, I think that? <coughs> I don't know anything about H and M. Tarzan. But I think that they are. I don't think they're an American company. Mm-mm. And right. I think that a lot of. Companies that are not in America, they don't understand because America is very multicultural. We race relations is on the front forefront of our minds. Oh yeah, in a way that it is not in a Europe. Because I keep on True. hearing these stories, True. like in China, right, and other places where they have these. I mean, there are commercials right. running in China or in Japan, right. like skin whitening. Yeah, did you see the one where um, the black boyfriend, the girl, pushes him into a washer? Yeah, I saw when, that. Or when he comes up. He's, he's white. A beautiful Asian. 
Men. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Washing the dark skin. Yes. As in darkness is horrible and yeah. he's white. So there is a white skin fetish. And you can see. in a Europe and Asia. Oh, absolutely. People, yeah. People want to blame the act. Go ahead, EJ. Oh, no. I, just that's that's uh, 100% right because uh, I was talking to a friend. This was a couple of years and ago. And you can't see this on radio, but EJ is a man of color. Oh, yeah. And I'm black and Mexican <laughs> myself. And uh, I was talking to a friend about uh, the census and apparently mm-hmm. in South American countries, mm-hmm. like they did some kind of uh, poll or something. Yeah. And, and most people uh, identified as, as like Caucasian or white. Right. Like census in South right. America. God. Right. Argentina and all that kind right. of stuff. Well, yeah. that's their history. Yeah. <laughs> their history of identifying with the dominant culture. Uh, yeah. With the dumb, you know, with the. Right. The, the people in charge. Yeah. Well, we talked about when Richard Talavera was there, we talked a little bit about the history of Mexico and how some sided with Spain. Right. Which is, I guess, the quote-unquote white version of, I don't know, Hispania or, right. or what have you. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I consider, like, Spanish people white, Spaniards. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So so that's, that's, my, that's my take on the H&M controversy where mm-hmm. you have a foreign country who's like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know America was so uptight about this. Well, yeah. maybe we need to. But and they're based in Sweden. It's. And they came out with a statement saying, like, oh, you know, we we um, we check our, our things like this. This slipped through the cracks, essentially. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 They said, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, but America is on the forefront of this stuff. It's not that they don't have it and haven't been dealing with it. It's that America very quickly decided in the early years we decided we were not going to embrace a caste system, mm-hmm. not in our in our ideals yeah. and the ideals of what it means to be American. Yeah. We were not going to embrace a caste system. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has had that caste system and it's been in place. So of course they don't think about it because it's just an easy way to make a cultural reference mm-hmm. to let you know what's better and worse because yeah. they just sort of accept that that's the way it is. In America, we've been challenging that for a long, long yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you look at uh, soccer games and how, you know, some of the Italian players who are black mm-hmm. are treated by their own fans. Oh, yeah. Right. And that could never happen in America with LeBron James right. and um, – Right. I can mention Kaepernick owners, or whatever. Yeah. Owners lose their – they lose. They Like the guy the guy in L.A. who had to step down. Oh, oh. Sterling. Yeah, Donald yeah. Sterling. Yeah, Donald Sterling. Yeah, exactly. So there's a price to pay when you don't pay attention to these um, racial things yeah. in America. Yeah. And America is the most racially diverse country, I think, on earth. I, I, believe. Not, I don't know, but we, we definitely are more open about it yeah. than yeah. other places are. Yeah. And the mother uh, of the kid actually spoke out about it. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, saying that. Um, what she she said, uh, people. Oh, she said she was saying that people are crying wolf. Like people that were offended by her cry, right. crying wolf. Oh right. yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> so, but that goes to a different conditioning too. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we can go all sorts of places. And then we had Oprah for president. Oprah gave a speech at the Golden Golden Globes. A beautiful speech, and it's great that people responded so heartfelt. You know, had such a heartfelt response to this speech. Yeah, and and that those people wanted to elect Oprah president, that's great. That's wonderful. I don't really want to have a discussion about why Oprah should or shouldn't be president. Oprah wasn't asking that. Oprah was saying, "We're it's a new day, and the little girls that are growing up now are growing up with this wonderful moment." as inspiration for them to stand up for themselves, to not put up with crap, and to feel like they don't, that they have the rights. Right. The equal rights that we have been promised for so long. Right. That's what Oprah was saying. 
Yeah, that that's something I would definitely love to hear from a presidential candidate, but I wouldn't mind somebody who actually works within the system. Right, exactly. Who Someone who that? is, you know, who is who really can be a public servant. I mean, you know, having a uh, a celebrity. I mean, I wonder if yeah, what would happen if we had a celebrity as president? What would happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems like we have that right now. But I do wonder about the Democrat Party. Are we that desperate? I consider myself a Democrat. Yes, we are. Um, are we that desperate to? It's like, oh, well, they have the celebrity, a celebrity Donald Trump as president. Well, we can do the same thing. I mean, are we going really going to fall that low? I mean. Oprah is a wonderful person, right? And I think she would be very good. I think she'd surround herself with wonderful presidents. But we've we got tons of people who have been public servant, who have run for right. office, right. who are well more qualified. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on? So I, I don't know. I think it's an act of desperation, and you know, people just getting crazy about. Oh, you know, let's do a poll. There was actually right. a poll. I know. Um, I, I keep seeing that stuff pop up in my feed, and I'm like, I. I want to be. I finally did write a response to it, and I saved the response so that every time I see that now, I'm just going to pop that same response in and say, "Look, y'all, you go ahead and do that if you want to." I, what this says to me really is this is how badly our system is functioning right mm-hmm. now. Um, that nobody, you know, either people are just taking these very factionalized positions. Mm-hmm. Nobody's looking to represent the <coughs> United States of America. Y'all are just looking to feed your constituency, your base, and right. that's all you're doing. That's that's not going to get us very far. Yeah. That's going to get that's going to continue the stupidity that we've seen now for like a decade or more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw I think it was Vox, there was a video that just went through I think it was two-year cycles. You know, because that's the congressional cycle oh, yeah. um, of Congress. And when there were moments in history, mm-hmm. when there, the, all they did was a bunch of little dots to yeah. represent all the representatives. Yeah. And they made two circles, red circle and a blue circle. And they showed when, like, maybe this was an issue or this was a term. Oh, where there was when, bipartisan support? When, right. When it was, you could see this little image of the two circles almost flowing towards each other. Yeah. There were many moments when one circle was way bigger than the other, meaning that, like, say, the red Folks had an issue that they were pushing. They supported it, and they got it through with maybe a little Democratic support um, or vice versa. The blue circle was bigger because it was flowing in that direction. Right Right now, we have two completely distinct circles. There is almost no crossover. There's no communication. And these are the people who represent us. Right. Yep, that's right. And they are not doing the job of trying to represent us right now. Yeah. They're all staying in their little faction sides. Right. And, and, of course, both sides say, well, it's your fault. You know, the Democrats aren't coming to us. The Democrats saying, well, right. it's the Republicans' fault. You guys are coming to us, mm-hmm. which ties into the next uh, story. Uh, this is Donald Trump and the um, the, the shithole comment that right. he made. Yeah. And let's not get tied up on the language of it, because really, let's say, what was he saying? He was saying that there were countries that he felt we shouldn't be wasting our time on. There are other countries, like these white people, I mean, these Norwegian people, that we should be spending our time on. And it's like, well, wait a minute, let's really reduce this, because what you're talking about is immigration. And what are the categories of immigration that we should have? And you want to discount the people who are in disasters and catastrophes, the people who are in war-torn countries, the people who are under persecution and need to get to safety for things that we believe in, Mm -hmm. that these people, we don't have any space 
to let these people come in here? Is that what you're saying? Because that's all that is being yeah. asked for in the well, immigration I mean, Yeah, debate. but obviously the real issue is he has a problem with people of color. Yeah. yeah. He has, uh, two days before MLK Day, well, today is right. two days before MLK Day, but less than a week, he would make a statement like that right. and have no discourse or whatever. like, oops. Right. None, none, none of that at all. Well, deny. He's now denying that he said anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh. Of course, Dick Durbin. <laughs> Republicans are saying they don't remember. Yeah, which is, which is a bunch of BS. Oh. But Dick Durbin, to his credit, who's right. a Democrat, of course, says, yes, he did say it. Yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. And there are two sources who said, yes, he, you know, he absolutely did say it. And so that. But like I said, do, yeah. not, do not argue about the word. Yeah. What is it that he was saying? He was saying these countries of brown people should not get any attention. Right. We should give more attention to these other countries. Right. And it's like, well, even if you look at the way immigration is set up right now, those white countries already get more yeah. access to our country. And the people that we're talking about are like these Haitians that he wants to kick out. Right. These people who are from war-torn, um, that was catastrophe countries. Right, right. But also the El Salvadorans and the Hondurans and the people who are running and, from and, regimes. And let's talk about the Puerto Ricans who still don't have power in Puerto Rico. Right. Yeah. So you don't have, we don't have any space for that. I think we have some space for them people. And, and it's, it's so, like, disheartening. And, and, and uh, the language really bothered me, and I actually uh, got mm -hmm. into, I guess, sort of a debate with someone over it. Yeah. Because they were saying that what he was saying uh, well, they were saying that shithole is synonymous with poverty-stricken. And dysfunctional countries. Right. right. Yeah. And, but the thing is, if you're going to, like, like, that's the thing, but you don't want to talk about the, the true history of how, like, countries come, like, because we know right. Haiti. Right. Th that was, like, the they biggest labor they they received their freedom longer, way longer, and ever than, since than almost anybody else, and they have <coughs> been paying for it ever since. Right, no one literally. Tried. Yeah, France. They owe France because of that, because of that slave revolt. They owe France, and they have never been able to pay off, and probably will never be able to pay off that debt. And ever since that slave revolt, uh, revolt, uh, the the countries in power never traded with them. Never, right. they, they were literally right. dying from famine for hundreds right. of years. Yeah, I didn't know that history. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so that's the thing. It's like, and that's, and, and so that's when, when things like this mm -hmm. are said shithole, it's like that, that automatically boom. Like when we say, oh, I, I have a shithole job. Right. It yeah. doesn't mean I have a poverty stricken, poor condition job usually. Yeah. Right. It's a crappy job. Right. Yeah. My, it usually means my boss is an asshole. My boss is right. crazy. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and it's just like, and so he says these kinds of things. And then he and he says, uh, you know, countries from Africa. So he's talking about an entire continent, yeah, right? Yeah. In which you know, South Africa, that, that country's doing pretty well for itself, right? Right. 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 And then and then so so it's, he just so it goes. Well, Nigeria, Nigeria yeah. is doing pretty well. And to say that these are people in huts, which apparently is something that he said, I was like, Nigeria? Yeah. Have you seen pictures of Nigeria? You were using logic. He's not using logic. He's yeah. just talking about brown people. And he doesn't right. know the history either. Right. right. And he doesn't care to know about it. Right. No, he doesn't. And the Republicans aren't going to hold him to it at all. No. You know, well, so. they don't know either, a lot of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it just astounds me. I mean, you would think, at least in the Nixon administration, there were Republicans who were like, wow, we are really repulsed by this. Right. Right. It doesn't help us politically to align ourselves with Nixon. Right. And that's how Nixon got out. Well, you also had a Supreme Court that mm -hmm. was just laying down the law and affirmative action, yeah. you know, and civil rights. It's like, that don't exactly care who right. you are, Mr. President. Yeah. You can do this. And that's around the that. time of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. 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 So right now we've got a Supreme Court that is that is split. Yeah. And, and listing towards the right. Our Congress... 
you know, the Republicans are so happy to be in charge. Yeah. This man literally could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody in the yeah. public. I don't. I, 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 just like you I, said. I, I, well, you know, videotape, uh, you know, that can be fake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, those witnesses, they were probably just some liberals who were yeah. bought off. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, is there an actual dead body? I, I, I haven't seen yeah. that dead body myself. It's amazing how loyal the Republican Party is, how they just line up and obey well, whoever I, is and who's and in I, charge. I don't have no parties for this. I hate that now, last year. I felt like there were a lot of legitimate shocks to us. Yeah. This year, everybody wants to get upset about the FISA court. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry. Y'all didn't say nothing the last eight years, nine years. Y'all didn't say nothing for the last nine years about them redoing this because they re-upped it every time it's come up. Y'all were fussing about it under Bush. But we we were not empowered, so we couldn't do anything about that. But we got under Obama, and Obama kept signing that thing. Every time it came to his desk, he signed it. Mm-hmm. Didn't ask for no changes. Didn't ask for no adjustments. If he asked for anything, he actually wanted to give more power to the ability to have secret courts, which just is not American. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the current president, but in the same way that if we talked about Israel— Mm-hmm. Obama signed off on all that same yeah. stuff, too, and said that they kept saying that they were considering moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah. They, that is not a new thing under Trump. It has been talked about. It was just delayed. Yeah. And nuanced. And, I mean, you know, which unlike Trump, you know. Yeah, there's no nuance. <laughs> there's no nuance in Trump at all. I mean, when people, com- when people complain about Obama, Obama was a president. Yes, he was a black president, but he was a president who knew he had to be president of all the people. Right. And there's no way that he's going to win in Ohio right. or in some of these swing states unless he gives a little right. to uh, con- the conservatives, yeah. which pisses off a yeah. lot of, you know, uh, liberals and Bernie folks. And the corporatists, yeah. because that was more than the conservatives. He was making sure he was not f- – if he asked for anything from the corporate class, mm-hmm. they got something for it. Yeah. He yeah. was a dealer. Right. And uh, Trump's way of doing a deal is like – Puerto Rico, fantastic. I'm going to fly down there and look. Well, y'all, yeah, y'all don't know that bad because 16 people did. And then here we are how many months later and yeah. how many more people did. And right. us doing refusing to <clears throat> make it easier for ships to get in and get help there. Right. We're not putting any more money to it. We're not getting it up. Oh, but it's affecting our hospitals now. <laughs> we right. can't get IV bags because right. they were made I in heard about that. I heard about that. Wow. That's yeah. exactly right. Oh, during the flu season. Cold, yeah, the flu season. So there's a flu epidemic that's going on right now. There right. Is. And there's not enough, what is it, IV bags? IV bags, saline. So, you, yeah. you know, because people start losing fluids. Yeah. And that's the number one thing is just to hook them up to an IV bag. Yeah. So there are literally nurses standing over beds pumping fluids into people. Because they can't just hang a drip bag and because they're made in Puerto Rico. Because they were made in Puerto Rico, and, and they can't. And there's, no no power. there's no power in Puerto yeah. Rico. That, and I have a friend that's in hospitalized right now because of the flu. His yeah. fever got so high that he had three seizures. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And, and then he has his fever got so high that he has some uh, some damage to his muscle. How old is he? He's 26. My God. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and uh, and he has some kind of damage to his muscle, so. They have to uh, flush his system with right. these bags. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, wow. That's sad to hear. But, I mean, it's the domino effect. I mean, you right. think that you can, you know, disrespect another right. culture or company and think that it doesn't, you know, hit back to you. Dismiss them as unimportant. Exactly. Yeah. Talk about how much you, you spent helping them. Right. Right. Wow. 
We spent a lot of money. To them. Like, at the, right. you know, yeah. to the people. Right. Why are you throwing canned food at them? As if it's a welfare state. As if they're welfare mothers right. who can choose to better their lives but just choose not to. It, I mean, it, that's, that's it's completely false. Yeah. It, it takes me back to the Malcolm X quote. Um, somebody asked him if he thought race relations were getting better in America. And, and he was always good at coming up with these images. And he says, if you have a man and he's got a, a knife six inches in his back and you pull it out three inches, is he better? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? He said, even if you pull the knife all the way out, you still have to heal that wound. Yeah. yeah. You have to deal with that wound, and then the healing process starts. Right. Yep. So don't ask me when you barely pull the knife out an inch if everything is cool. Yeah. Isn't this better? <laughs> that is so real. Yeah, Malcolm so knew how to hit it. Malcolm knew, knew exactly right. So we want to get into an origin story. Um, EJ, how did you get into acting? Oh, I uh, man, I, I didn't get into acting actually until I was nineteen, nineteen, eighteen. Mm, is that right? Yeah. Now, were you born and raised here? I was born in LA and I and raised in Oakland since I was two. So okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, LA, no, LA proper or uh, LA I was, County? I, I was born at uh, in, at Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. Oh, yeah, so that's, that's all pretty I LA. Yeah, yeah that, that's as much as I know about it. Yeah. Uh, I've been there once since I was born. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, and, and oh, you went back for that checkup? I went back for <laughs> I went back uh, for a friend's wedding actually last year. Oh, yeah, and that was uh, that was awesome. Yeah, because I got to check out that's the town, amazing. see a best friend yeah. get married. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I. Um, I uh, I grew up playing sports, so I played basketball, football, mm-hmm. ran track. All right, that was kind of my thing. I played the clarinet uh, and saxophone for mm-hmm. a while. I was talking to to Norman about that earlier because his yep. wife is a musician. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I uh, I ended up tearing actually both of my ACLs. Woo. Yeah, by the time I graduated, and so uh, but I was real big on basketball. I had you know I wanted to go and play in, in the college, and, mm-hmm. and actually tore. This one on a recruit trip uh, mm. at Western Carolina University. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah! And so hey, I was doing uh, this drill called the X drill, and mm-hmm. yeah. just planted and popped, and I knew what yeah. was up. You must right. have been a shooting guard or a point guard. Point guard, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because I'm five ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, mm. and uh, and yeah, that too. You know, the, yeah, it would have been you know past college would have been a tough kind of right. Not impossible. Yeah, not not there are people that do it. If yeah. I could have kept my speed up, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I moved to to North Carolina um, when I was like 15, and uh, and then I ended up staying there after I graduated from high school mm-hmm. and uh, moving to Asheville, which was close to the little town I was in called yeah. Franklin. Uh-huh. And um, and I used to go and play basketball at, wherever I moved to. It's it's odd everywhere I go, I always find like some kind of basketball. Yeah. Right. In North Carolina, that's Dean Smith country. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, basketball is huge out there everywhere, yeah. and so is football. You know, yeah. that's, right. that's where you right. get the cowbells at the football game. Oh wow! The whole town shuts down. You know, yeah. Wow. You have the papers, front page of the papers. Yeah. It's me doing. Oh, the oh yeah, there yeah, the go, the deep south. yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, and then everything the NFL stuff's all in small print. <laughs> all right, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And and so I go into this uh, this fine arts center and I start playing basketball there. I'm dating like this girl who's like in the neighborhood over there, and um and then and then people found out I'm from California and Oakland, calling me Hollywood and all this right. crazy. And I'm from Oakland, right? I don't, yeah. I don't, I didn't tell that I was born at Hollywood Presbyterian, right? And so. Uh, and so uh, the uh, director of the the um, Fine Arts Center uh, came to him. It's called the W.C. Reed Center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, he came up to me, and he was like, hey, you know, I hear you're from Oakland. We have this uh, this part that we have, and this kid's kind of like, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could play it? 
And I said, uh, yeah. Like, you know, I had never, I had never acted. Oh. I never really knew what acting even was. Up there. Oh. Mind you, I'm 18. Right. And um, and so I read for it. I've always been able to read fairly well. Mm-hmm. And so I read for it. And, I, and I, you know, I'm sure I did okay for someone who wasn't trained at all. Right. And, uh, and I did it. I got off book, played. You know, I was always, like, so nervous. Uh-huh. But uh, at the end of the run, uh, I, there was a scene I had in that play where um, – my grandfather dies, hmm. and I sort of have an epiphany, and that's where I want to start making changes to be a better person. Or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, my your character. N- yeah, my character. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and the play was called actually Death of the N Word. So oh, yeah, uh-huh. so it was that kind of a deal. And um, and yeah, pe- the way that people responded to it, and what they were, came up to me after after the play, we only did it for like two weeks, and uh, and they came up to me after, and they were just talking about their grandfather. Oh. I reminded them of something that they had been through with their uncle or, uh-huh. and all these different people. And I'm just like, and they had me sign the program. Wow. And, and, and then they really would like look me in the eye, have, have tears in their eyes because wow. it touched them so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, they knew they had an uncle or whoever that had like been in that situation or who was locked up now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, I could really like touch people with this stuff. Right. And, um, and then I moved back out here. And um, and I was uh, I was at Heal doing the paralegal program at Heal, uh-huh. yeah. and uh, and I was just like, and I was getting closer and closer to graduating. I'm like, I and we were doing Lexus Nexus and all the stuff that they use, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, doing the, the legal terminology class, uh-huh. all the stuff. And I'm like, this, and I was doing well. I was on the dean's list there and all that. But I was like, you know, I I don't think I could like do this every day after leaving here. Like mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and I ended up finding I did all this research and I ended up finding that Laney uh, College had Michael Torres there, right? Fusion and, Theater, yeah, Fusion Theater Company, yeah. and uh, and 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 I became a Fusion Arrow, and I, and I enrolled there because of like his resume and then and then how it said that it had it set up because I wanted right. to go somewhere where I could have like the bones of a process kind of laid out in front of me. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because I was going to be playing catch up, I knew, mm-hmm. uh, but I know, I knew that I wanted to do this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I went and, uh, and, uh, and I went there, uh, did all the cl- uh, coursework. It took me four years to get my two year degree there mm-hmm. and, and work full time as personal right. trainer. And, um, and then, uh, once I graduated, Michael had, I had understudied at, uh, the Berkeley Repertory Theater. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that was the first place I, I thought to, because it was either go to a four-year right. or I'd try to audition. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I, I literally knew nothing about resumes, about mm-hmm. headshots, like, I didn't know anything. Yeah. And, um, but I tried to put it together. Right. And I, and I took it up there, uh, to, uh, to the casting director at the Berkeley Rep, Avery right. Toskin. Yeah. And, um, and it, 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 she, she kept it real with me, man. She's yeah. just like, hey, you're like orange in your headshot. This resume is not like formatted right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there's no way this is going to go well. And so, and so it kind of didn't. And I left. Uh-huh. And then, uh, but I had, uh, I had uh, auditioned with, uh, I think it was uh, a Shakespeare piece. I was there at Petruchio. Oh. Yeah, from Telling of the Shrew, yeah. yeah. And then uh, probably a, two months later, she emailed me and I got cast as understudy for. Uh, X's and O's, a football, uh, uh, right. football love story, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, and that was just the most magical theater experience, like, just because it was the first time and then being in a theater like that right. and, and then working with, like, pros that were on that level. Right. It mm-hmm. was just so obvious of where you are, right? Yeah, that yeah. high end. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and then just, like, and then how receptive everyone was. Uh-huh. And, and, um, and you could just kind of tell. 
I mean, there was a guy there who was like FaceTiming his son, um, like every every rehearsal before we started. Mm, right. And his son was in L.A. because he came up from L.A. Yeah. And uh, and he he did a bunch of commercials. He was like a lifelong actor. He was okay. married, and he yeah. was really inspiring. Yeah. Right? Nice. And uh, and so that happened. And then and then I told Michael about it. Uh, Michael Torres, my mentor. And then um, and then he told me about a play coming up, waiting for Lefty. And then yeah. the Ubuntu oh, Theater nice. Project was right. Nice. Right. And um and I was like oh like cool like you know I'm down. I read it and I was like oh I'm, I, I want to do this like you know uh-huh. I do the labor unions and I'm like this is awesome it's like high stakes the whole play mm-hmm. right and um and he uh and then so he connected uh, me with Michael Moran the uh, founder of Ubuntu right and uh, and I went into rehear- uh, to uh, audition mm-hmm. and uh, and I got it the first day and then and then from that first play he he asked me if I wanted to be a company member and, well, and awesome. yeah and I was yeah. and yeah I've wow. Several shows. I haven't seen you on stage, but obviously you must have some really natural talent. So I got you know, <laughs> to. Yeah. Now, how did you how did you move from North Carolina to to here? What brought you out here? Uh, so I, I left from here to North Carolina when I was fifteen, and then yeah. I came back. Right. Um, because uh, my mom was out here, and um, just uh, I don't know. I just I always had I always missed Oakland. Sure. Mm-hmm. Always, and then and then also like when I moved to to North Carolina, it's so funny when I moved to North Carolina. Like, you know, the way I speak, I have sort of a, an urban kind of yeah, dialect. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I am who I am, and I'm from where I'm from. Right. Now, uh, like, my family from the East Coast, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. they're, they're real straight now. They like to, yeah. they like to, uh, like, they're over, and I don't want to say overachievers, but they definitely care about how they look, sure. you know, to, okay. to, to society. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, um, and want to make sure that they're, you know, within the right lines, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so for me, you know, it hasn't always like completely been that way, obviously, because yeah, you know, I'm not going to. So there's some up. cultural issues or whatever. I was gonna, yeah. I was going to ask you how I was living in the deep south. I've only been to North Carolina oh. once. My dad, and I told you, my dad had a gospel group. Right. He had an R and B group in the 70s and then they converted to gospel and so we mm-hmm. toured very much like Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirs. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you, um, if for those who don't, you know, millennials who are listening. If you Google, if you do it, go go on YouTube and listen to Sam Cooke and the Soulsters. This is before he became uh, a, a pop star. star. Yeah, and it was very acapella, gospelly uh, sort of call and response sort of stuff. And that's what mm-hmm. we did. And so we toured in North Carolina, and it's very much the Deep South. We went to like a, a church that was sort of a a wood sort of wood cabin, log cabin sort of deal, wow. and they had a pot. That was uh, that heated up the entire area. Yeah. Right. It, it was as close to like I don't know the 18th century or or, or <laughs> like the deep you know deep. I imagine right. how slaves would have you know had a church service. Right. So I imagine there must have been some serious cultural differences that, that you had to go through. That's so funny you bring that up because my grandmother had a uh, a wood furnace in her uh-huh. house. Uh-huh. So every winter, right before winter, I'd be out there uh, splitting wood. Yeah. yeah. Wow. With a wedge, you know, the whole time I yeah. thought to be with a, an axe or something. Yeah. Just but, put it in and but yeah, that wedge, and you hit a knot, man. And you're like, oh, like your hands are all Ooh, like, yeah. wow, it's freezing Ooh. outside. Right. Yeah. And uh, and she also had a uh, kudzu. So she she also owned the property across the street, mm-hmm. which used to be my great grandmother's house before she passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a bunch of kudzu, which was which is vines, right? Yeah. Right. That, that grows wildly. And she didn't want to use Roundup or anything like that right. because it come back. Right. So she literally had me. She literally had me. In in uh, 
five acres of, of like yard. No. All the oh, no. All summer long. Wow. Yeah, that would be a <laughs> but that was I, so, that, I would hate that. Go ahead. And she was fine with it because like and that, I mean if the lawnmower was broken, right. you know, she'd give me the manual, tell me to fix it. Mm. If a window was, was out, she'd tell me to, to go get my uncle and, and, and work with him and make sure that I was helping. Mm-hmm. Same thing if the floor needed to be changed. So I learned a lot uh-huh. being out there and uh and oh man, t- I mean I was, it was misery a lot of the time. But then I became uh, the guy that, that everybody in the family would come to when something needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And then so now I'm, like, running the project. And I right. tell everybody what to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I became uh, uh, definitely grateful for it. Um, but an- another thing that was different about living out there was, like, the culture dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you do run into to the N-word. You know, right. you, run oh, in, no. right. yeah, you run into those situations yeah. where you would never – Yes, as, as not a pejorative either, right? Huh? J- not somebody trying to be derogatory. Hey, just not yeah, that. You talking about? You talking about? Oh, oh wait, I mean, I mean, uh, somebody trying to be derogatory. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like uh, with the ER, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it, it happened to me in the lunchroom. Wow. Yeah, and I was just talking with a bunch of the guys, and um, and I remember when it happened. <clears throat> uh, this guy, I'm not even gonna say. His, I remember his name because of, of just you know. Yeah, of just, course, it sticks with you. <clears throat> but uh, I'm talking to someone about, and I played football and basketball there, so we've yeah. been talking about something like that. And uh, it's just a whole lunch table talking, and this guy says, uh, "Shut up, something, something, nigger boy." Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. And and you know, and I, and I heard it, but I, I didn't hear it. Right. I didn't register because right. I, I had never. I remember I saw Roots in the sixth grade at Lowell Middle School in yeah. West Oakland. Wow! And I was ready to if I saw anybody that looked like they might be, you know, yeah. I, it just puts you in a bad mood, you know. Right. Oh yeah. And so I, I was not ready for it at all. Yeah. And I was just like, and you would think that, especially like the kind of person that that I, especially I was then, yeah, that mm-hmm. I would have responded ready to fight or whatever. Right. But I was kind of like, like it was, I mean, because like there was a part of me that was kind of scared. Yeah. Kind of, I didn't know what to do, how I'd be looked at. I right. just moved out here because I got in trouble. Right. And, um, and I'm just like, you know, what's, uh, what in the hell is going on right now? Yeah. And, uh, and so we, I ended up hitting him uh, yeah. and, and like throwing my whole lunch tape, played at him and yeah. busting his face open and all that. Um, but uh, I, I remember my, um, my principal at my school uh, never told my grandmother. Hmm. And he hmm. told me he wasn't going to. Uh, and I was uh, fine with that. Right. Like, you know, it was like my first yeah. like mm-hmm. quarter there. And I'm wow. just like, yeah. Norman, have you ever had to go through that? I mean, you've. Well, that's what I was pointing to was sort of, and uh, you know, I've never lived in the South. I, I spent some time there. Well, I was in Indiana, 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 you know. Indiana was such a little kid, but yeah. what I remember is when I got out of the server. So yeah. I guess actually I was just visiting. I yeah. was visiting home at one point, and um, I'd gotten in high school, I'd gotten to know um, a guy who had been my best friend freshman year who ended up dropping out of school. Yeah. But at one point he had been dating this girl. And so we'd all become friends, and there were a group of us that used to hang out. Her mother worked in the cafeteria of the college, the Claremont Colleges. Yeah. So we would go hang out there while she was working, and uh, and that was back in the day when you actually still could smoke inside places. So <laughs> people would smoke in the cafeteria. She'd get a smoke break, and she'd come and sit with us, chat. So I got to know the family, got wow. to know the family really well. Well, before I left high school, her mother left her father who had been just a jerk. He was, you know, that, that stereotype of the old Marine, the World War II Marine, um, and sitting around drinking and yeah. living, you know, trying to recapture those glory days. 
Um, and nothing is as good as it used to be. And you all, you kids don't understand. And you long hair hippies and all that kind of stuff. Um, she had left him. So I went back to visit while I was in the army one day. And they had moved, and they had reconciled and gotten back together. Now, all the kids are grown and out of the house, but I figured I'd at least go by and say hi to the mother. So, And I didn't realize they'd reconciled. So I found their address, and I went, and I knocked on the door, and he opened the door. And I was a little shocked. Now, he had always liked me, but I thought he was as much a jerk as everybody else did. Um, like when she left, we all kind of celebrated when she left him. So I was shocked to see that they were back together. But I was trying to play it off. He opens the door and says, oh, my God. Norman, honey, come here. It's Norman the nigger. What? Wow. And I stood there ready to go, what the hell do I do? But I didn't come to see him. I came to see her. So I just froze. Wow. And then she came to the door and she welcomed me in. Big hug. Come in. How you doing? Him too. He sat. We visited. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And he mm. got to go to the bathroom at one point And I said to her, he called me a nigger when I walked in. And she said, oh, I am so sorry. Don't ever come back in here again. Here's my number. We will, you know, basically we'll meet like mm. we used to meet. Mm. And I was only in town for a brief visit. So I was gone again. And then she died before I came back again. But it just shocked me how friendly he was. This was, he was wow. basically saying, yay, one of my favorite people on the planet. And yeah. that was the way he expressed it. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing how indoctrinated it is in some people's uh, and and your case, EJ. I mean, this wasn't all that long ago. This is more right. like ten years or uh, yeah, maybe nine nine years. Um, yeah, so maybe nine years. Oh yeah, no, yeah, maybe not. Actually, a little more than that. Yeah, maybe like twelve years ago. It must have been fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. But clearly in the two thousand, the aughts. Yeah, two thousand three yeah. or something. And yeah. I've actually had situations like that as well. Right. Where uh, and it was actually odd. And that's the thing. It's, it is kind of. And I just had to tell that guy, <coughs> hey, man, because he kept uh, – he kept uh, – and he was saying niggers. It wasn't like he was saying, like, nigger. Right. He was saying nigger. And then uh, – but he was, like, almost like uh, – he was a, a guy that played football with me. Uh-huh. And uh, he was a friend of mine. Oh, wow. Right? At the time, as far right. as I thought. And right. and, um, and he was like – he would say uh, – Oh, come here, nigger, or, and then like like pinch my chest or something right, like that. Right. And I, you know, I would slap him at first, and I'm like, and then, but then he'd be cool. So I, the first, the first like probably three times, uh-huh. I'd be like, hey man, chill, like calm down. And then finally, I had to tell him like, hey, look, bro, like I'm not messing around. Like if you call me that again, like we're gonna fight. And yeah. then, And he was kind of like. Uh, oh, he well, I don't like, do anything. Well, he was just kind of <laughs> like, well, what's wrong, man? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm just like, like dude, like you're like first of all. If you keep calling me that, like like other people will call me that. Right. Second of all, I'm not okay with it. Yeah. Right. I'm not cool with it, man. Yeah. Right. And then uh, and so and then that's when he could tell because then I blew up when I told him you know I did yeah. let it all out. Uh-huh. But, uh, but yeah, and then and then it's, and I did run into a situation, and this guy was a good friend of mine, and and one thing I didn't do because when I grew up, I'm not grew up in Oakland, so, yeah. so I grew up saying the N word, saying mm-hmm. blood, all that kind right, of right, 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 right. And um, but one thing I didn't do when I got out there is I did not say that mm-hmm. like uh-huh, around right. people because right. I didn't want anybody to have a reason to say it to me. Right. And when other like of my black friends would say it around me, I'd be like, "Hey, bro, don't don't even do that because um, that's Norman's phone." Because um, yeah, I'm, yeah oh, keep going. <laughs> oh, because um, you know, I, I don't want to end up in that kind of situation. Sure. Because sure. I will react. Yeah. And um, and there was a, a guy. His name was Caleb. He was a friend of mine, and and he was like singing this song. 
and he kept saying nigga. Oh, and he okay. And he knew what was up, though. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like we were in such a – like literally in my high school, there were probably ten black people. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and um, and so like I was very like open, especially after that first incident. Yeah, like I I don't play with that at no. all, and uh, he didn't respect it, so we kind of got into it. Didn't fight, but we kind of got yeah. into it and weren't friends since. I get the sense that maybe for those folks or white folks who are curious about the N word or let's say black culture, may want to test a black person to see let's see how they will react. And, you know, I was reading um, this wonderful book, Walking with the Wind, Walking, I think it's Walking with the Wind, written by John Lewis, basically about the civil rights movement. Uh And it talks about how the civil rights movement, at least in the 50s, began with kids who were going to theology school who later become members of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Mm -hmm. But it comes from uh, a foundation of faith about, hey, this is a movement you know, with the foundation of God, and we're going to have a very, um, you know, turn the other cheek, you know, dealings with uh, with white and with oppression. But then you have northern blacks come in who are like, hey, the ballad of the bullet, I'm going to kick somebody's ass, if, you know, somebody, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, you get the sense that there's southerners who are used to having black folks turn the other cheek right. or, you know, be subservient, yes, sir, no, sir, and, and all that stuff. And they're surprised when it's like, hey, what the F? You know, don't come at me like that. Yeah. So I get the sense some of that's still going on. I, I can only guess because I haven't been to the South. I was born in Texas, but I haven't been there since I was a baby. So mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. I mean, I would say that that is exactly the case. Because like, even a, a couple years ago, and this is a guy I went to high school with, but this was like two years ago yeah. on Facebook. Um, and this guy was uh, – we were talking, it was, you know, it, it was during a time when, I mean, the videos are still coming out of black people being shot by, or not black men being shot oh, by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was during, like, uh, one of uh, one of those instances, and um, and we got into the regular Facebook debate about it. He's a white guy, you know, from, from mm-hmm. where I'm from, or from where I went to high school at out there. And uh, and the point had come up about, like, black people and criminality, and he yeah. he said, like, he believed that black people are genetically more inclined Mm-hmm. Oh, to sake. be criminals, like, right? He said it to me. Like yeah. this is somebody that I know that, wow. and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, there's an article. I I, I didn't want to get into it because you know we already went through current events, but this past on Monday, so there's a guy named Keith Tharp. I, I sent you the article, Norman. Oh yeah. Who um, 20 years ago was accused of killing a black woman, right? And so. Um, there's, oh, there's right, the there's, juror. That's right, the juror. So there's a thing. Uh, it's funny you mentioned you went to paralegal school. I'm a paralegal myself. I, oh, nice. I 20 years. I'm, in fact, I'm in my 21st year working as a paralegal for the DA's Yay. office. Congratulations. Oh yeah, thank God. you. Thank you so much. So in any case, there's a thing called voir dire, and there's a thing uh, called the um, Wheeler. Uh, the Wheeler, um, basically it's a Wheeler violation. Which means that if if a um, the prosecution and defense when they select jurors, mm-hmm. it has to be um, you have to be, have a multicultural juror. You can't discriminate based on race or sex or sexual orientation, or else it's a violation of the Wheeler Act. Which means mm-hmm. that you, the juror, is an impartial juror, which are not racist or sexist or whatever. And you go through these questionnaires, like you know. Do you have an individual in your family who's a cop? Do you have an individual in your family who's a racist and all that sort of stuff right. to get an impartial juror? Right. And you try to get it. So in this case of um, of Keith Tharp, who was accused of killing someone, 
it came out that a juror was, in fact, racist. He believed black people are genetically inclined right. to commit race. I mean, to commit murder and all that sort of stuff. And he basically said, hey, that black dude was a nigger, but, you know, the person we killed who actually was a black woman. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a, she's a good black person. She's a good nigger. Right. right. Yeah, that was what he said, yes. And so how it, how it comes to – so basically – the defense who's who's representing Keith Thorpe because he's he's on death row. Uh, they tried to get the the uh, the case thrown out because imp- of an impartial juror. So the first court says no, everything's okay. They went to the appellate court, no, everything's okay. It went to the Supreme Court, who said no, everything's not okay. Wow. That's uh, that's a juror who based his decision on racism. So the whole thing's thrown out. Well, guess who was a dis- who guess who, who dissented. On that, oh, right. Bill Clarence Bill Thomas, Thomas. Yeah. who basically says, "No, you know, I don't. You know, we can't." He accused the other people of playing the race card. Exactly. Y'all are so busy trying to show that you're liberal. Right. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Thank God for Barack Obama, who gave us Kagan, Sotomayor, yeah. yeah, and I think one other person. Uh, I forget it was David Souter or whatever, but mm-hmm. we have at least enough liberal. Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. who says, listen, Tharp may have killed someone, but if he's going to be convicted, he's going to be convicted on principle. He's going to be convicted on the evidence and not based right. on bias. Right. Right. Clarence Thomas should know that. Right. Especially as a black person. It should be, well, as a judge, yeah. he should be doing that. Yes. So that's, you know, that's what happens and uh, that, you know, this sort of ties in with so what, you, what you're basically saying. It's amazing how in the 21st century, we still have folks in the Deep South who still have these racial biases. Oh, well, that's how black people are. Right. And, and you know, and I think and it's so funny because, like, through these uh, conversations you have with people about this kind of stuff, yeah. I, can, I can see that it's, it's like a lot of it – because, like I said, this guy is from a town of 4,000 people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe uh, the, the only time that, that he goes out to, to a place, an urban place, to have, like – black people or other yeah. races period yeah is uh is on vacation or whatever and maybe he, he goes and he sees some crazy stuff or yeah he gets cussed out and almost robbed right yeah and then you go back home and now you have these ideas wow i begged them not to rob me and they did anyway mm-hmm. but you, sure but you don't know those people are hungry you don't know those conditions you know what yeah. it's like being out there although with the internet it's getting harder and harder for people to say well i'm isolated i lived in a rural right. area or whatever they still listen to hip-hop i mean they still turn on the tv right yeah. They can still look on the internet and talk to someone. I mean, I mean, I know anything about Chinese culture, but I have a friend in Guangzhou, China. Uh-huh. I talk to. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. As of right now, you're isolated if you want to be isolated. Yeah. Right. And a lot, yeah, a lot of them do. Well, yeah. and that's and that's. It's funny because I know as somebody at that point where I had to decide if I was going to pursue theater or what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to ask myself, what was the value of it? And what the value of it is that live experience. Yep. And now that we're in this digital age where there's so much that's available through to, yeah. uh, through a handheld device, yeah. um, we're getting at finding that there's a new valuing of, of the live experience. So asking people, wow, if you don't know somebody or you don't go places where these other people are, maybe you should. I find myself thinking that with Muslim stuff all the time. Yeah. There are events that happen here in Oakland, and I'm like, oh, I should try to roll through. I should try to check some of this out. Yeah. Because you hear about it in the news, and if that's your only experience of it, all yeah. you're hearing is the bad. Yeah. yeah. Big spin, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's – 
it's one of those things where if you want to be isolated, I mean, there are people who always when people when people are brought into change or when they are confronted with change, whether it be economic change, mm-hmm. like, you know, the tech industry and gentrification um, or cultural change, hip hop. You know, you turn right. on your radio and everyone everyone's doing hip hop. Right. You can either embrace the change, even mm-hmm. if you don't like it. Or you can be repulsed by it. It's like, okay, I'm going to throw it away, and right. I'm just going to isolate myself more and more and more. Right. And I think this country is, you know, are, you know, I consider it, you know, there's Metro America, those people who are moving forward, and right. Retro America, those who are holding on. Let's take, let's tie it back into theater. I mean, with theater, I mean, um, with Ubuntu, because I remember asking you as Ubuntu a black theater, and you were like, no, 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 it's, it has nothing to do with black theater, but it's multicultural. Do you find that Ubuntu is multicultural? I mean, is that a emphasis on of Ubuntu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, you definitely like, like, uh, you know, anywhere you you kind of see where, you know, you you have to like you're always going to have your philosophy or intention or, sure. or wherever you're coming from, and you know, everyone may not exactly see things the way you see them or, yeah right. or, or their their perspective on something death of a salesman was that ubuntu or something uh, yeah that was right. ubuntu and see and you were the neighbor and you're black well and it's the same thing streetcar yeah. um the stanley yeah is nation american awesome. and what's fascinating to me is that's a there's an an ethnic thread that is embedded in the play yeah and what identity are we pushing on you? What's being projected on you versus the identity that you claim? He claims American. Mm. And it's a wonderful moment because mm-hmm. in that moment, he is differentiating himself. And that is what the play says. That's the original text. That is what the play says. But a contemporary audience is going to be watching what they think of as an Asian man on stage saying this. It's going to have a totally different resonance. Mm-hmm. And it is very much a reflection of the culture that we live in now. So I love this. No, 50, 70 years ago, you could not have done that right. with this play. Yeah. But now when you do it, it's going to give you, I think, a fresh perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're in the room, so you yeah, have a better no, sense it's, of it's, uh, it's very, like, the dynamic is amazing. Because uh, even Lisa, she's Salvadorian and um, and, and European. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, we have... Uh, uh, no. Oh, then then we have Sarita. Sarita, yeah, yeah, Ocon, yeah. yeah who is uh, Latina, and then um, and then uh, Regina, who is also Latina, and then me, I'm black and Mexican myself, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Latino, and um, uh, and then Abdul Rahim, who is uh, Palestinian. Right, nice, yeah. yeah. And then so so yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty di- it's just pretty uh, diverse and and um, and it makes for a very very yeah. I- interesting yeah. dynamic. It's going to be and great. it sounds like. It's not like a bunch of people who are from different cultures are diverse, are pushing themselves away from their own culture. They're bringing their own cultural culture into the piece. Well, in the same way that you do on a daily basis. I, I have been through a number of – I've spent a lot of time in my life doing workshops and discussions about race and all that sort of stuff. And every now and then you have to break it down for people. I don't wake up in the morning and go, gosh, I'm a black man in America. <laughs> you know, right. I wake up the way you wake up. Wow, yeah. it's a sunny day. Exactly. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. It's actually when I walk out to my car and some neighbor freaks as I'm walking down the street or I go to a store and I'm being looked at crazy yeah. that I start going, whoa, there's a problem here, which is not about me. Right. It's about how people perceive me. Right. Yeah. And it's just one of the things that Ubuntu does that I love is – 
there isn't even much discussion about these cultural things. But the director clearly has thought about this story in a way that includes mm -hmm. culture, in a way that it's going to be visual, it's going to be visible to the audience, and the audience is going to have their own reaction and their own projections, their own perceptions that they bring to what they think the story is or should be, and it makes the story fresh, because then you find yourself rethinking what it is you're seeing and maybe making that adjustment. Oh, why couldn't it be an Asian guy? It's yeah. not like Asian guys don't work. It's not like Asian guys don't have hot tempers. <laughs> you know, we all do that. It's human. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. to go ahead and allow us to see this story, and that's the other thing is you take these classics and it's easy to get stuck in, oh, the movie did this, or, right. you know, who's going to be Marlon Brando? If I have to play this <laughs> role, how am I going to play it like Marlon Brando? Don't play it like Marlon Brando. Play it like the playwright wrote. This is a story about a hard-working man who is actually not – it's funny because he's often described as being bestial. Yeah. But he's got this language that at times is nuanced, and he's thinking. Mm -hmm. He's thinking from the beginning of the play. He's, right. he's perceptive. You see all this stuff happening. That allows you to take the character in ways that we don't think of. So yeah. an audience is going to get a chance to enjoy it. And, you know, when you mentioned that the character is perceived as bestial, I mean, it was written in the 50s. So, I mean, right. in the 50s, it may have been thought of. Right. He's bestial because, you know, he's speaking of a language or in mm -hmm. a way that folks in the 50s weren't used to. Right. I mean, it's interesting how in the 50s, I mean, we were talking about this on another podcast, how there's another podcast I listen to, American History Tellers, and it's, getting, it's getting into the Cold War. Uh-huh. And how culturally America was changing in the 50s. You have this cultural battle between right. rock and roll and individual freedom. And I'm even some I'm a budding playwright and I'm beginning to work on um, I'm, I'm very fascinated by Betty Friedan uh -huh. and uh -huh. the feminine mystique the and yeah. sort of the second wave of the women's movement. Mm -hmm. But in the 50s, you have this cultural war between mm -hmm. conservatives who are like, hey, let's preserve, you know, what we have and let's move to a more idyllic time, sort of, I don't right. know, Mayberry or, right. you know, that sort of stuff. Fictional, yes. Yeah, and then you have the 60s and rock and roll and... And protests. Yeah, and, and, and freedom. And really yes. just yeah. about freedom. Right. You know, like, I want to express myself and I don't want to be in the kitchen. Right. Or I don't want to be in the field, you know. I want or to if I'm a man, I don't want to have to cut my hair. Right. Because that's the only way you will perceive I'm a man. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Tennessee Williams was tapping into that and talking oh, about yeah. that sort of a cultural clash and even a clash I, I of language. I think he's predating it, but, yeah, he's he's got his finger on that pulse. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is a, this play is really interesting, too, but just because of the whole Me Too movement that's coming up. Oh, yeah. right. Oh, it's around, rather, right. and, and just the idea of the victimization. That's right. I hadn't thought about that, Stanley and dealing with Blanche. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the victimization of women, right, and, and right. how uh, how that's coming about as, like, right. the – the counteractive part to, to the Me Too movement, right? Yes, yeah. and uh, and then how this play has probably been received over like history, right? Right, and uh, and and Blanche, you know, victimizing herself or, or whatever, right? Yeah. and not right. really paying attention or, or or even caring about, you know, yeah. what what led to her mm -hmm. having these sort of like what I think are like defense mechanisms, right? Right. Know? Right, yeah. yeah, no, there's definitely a depth to the character that is that is juicy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why these things are classics, but it's just wonderful to see this approach that challenges these old notions of what the play is, what the story is. Yeah. Um, I know we, we passed the one-hour mark, but I'm having uh, fun talking about uh, this. Awesome. How do you, um, EJ, 
as an actor, where do you where do you see yourself in the future? Do you want to continue to do Bay Area theater? Do you want to move further? Uh, are you do you want to get into equity to make more money, or you know what? Wh- where do you see yourself in the future? That's so funny because uh, especially the equity thing. Um, I think I'm going to take my time on that just until I know like more just about it, mm-hmm. uh, just the history of it, what it's mm-hmm. really become. Right. Um, just because they they dropped the. Um, EMC. Yeah, the EMC points that you Right, need. that's right. I heard about that. And uh, and there was just like a big, uh, kind of a big, just a big discussion about it. And uh, and you know, and and it's it's uh, it's odd because I started reading about equity, and it's mm-hmm. like this a labor union, right? right legitimately, right. But like uh, like the way that people had been talking to me about it, I'd seen like cert- like different casting directors talk about it. Mm-hmm. It was like it was this prestigious sort of club that like mm-hmm. you know you have to almost uh like earn your way into with accolades almost yeah right. uh, yeah rather than you know being about the craft and development and, and being into it mm-hmm. so so that kind of I'm, that's kind of like where i'm like okay you know before i even touch this or right. try to have any kind of opinion on it or whatever i need to learn more about it in general. Uh-huh. sure sure and um but it seems like you're happy doing with what what with what oh, you yeah, are. i am and so yeah so for me i'm just kind of like you know i'm like truly like an artist uh, I, I dance too yeah like uh everything i do is, is just it's it's all up for me i i want to like i want to tell stories that matter yeah i want to pr- perpetuate and promote change mm-hmm. and as long as that's happening and I, i've been in so i recently uh and i'm not going to say like where it was or what the play was but i was in a play where you know really there were certain. There was a line in it, uh, and I was play, I was understudying for uh, uh, the black character in the play, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's talking about where he um, <laughs> where he grew up, and and he's talking about like drug dealers mm-hmm. in his neighborhood, right? And he says coke dealers, right? Okay. And uh, and to me, I'm just like, so I'm from West Oakland, yeah, right? Yeah, so right. it's like you don't deal coke, coke, right? The, it's not, not that's in West Oakland. That's no. it, like Chico right. State University, you know? Right. Yeah. It's not a, it's not right. a college, right? Right. Yeah. Like crack cocaine. Right. Yeah. That's hood. what it was. And right. it's like you don't like it's, it's that's what it still like is, if yeah. you're from there you know the difference. Like right. I don't, I've never like touched coke or crack or anything. Right. I've seen it like mm-hmm. in person, but like I know that uh, that's what people make money off of. And that's right. what people are doing. Yeah. You know, that are that are in the hood. That's what yeah. they right. can afford, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and just like just and then that was just one little thing in it. Uh, and I'm having to like recite these lines at our understudy rehearsals. Yeah. And it's just uh, it was just really demeaning it was just it was a really profound kind hmm. of a, a situation yeah because uh-huh. and, and because the uh the i mean just the play was was essentially like a reflection of of the playwright's journey mm. in, in, in in her writing field yeah. or whatever and and it was just really odd that it, i just felt like the, the character was so underdeveloped and, mm. and like there just really wasn't that much respect and then they went to it yeah and uh and just that character being the only like ethnic character in the play, yeah. oh. I felt like it had a lot well, to carry. Hopefully, right, she right. actually responded well to it. I mean, you know, a lot of times a playwright gets learns a lot from the actor. Let's say you do a reading, right? And an actor. Matter of fact, I went through it. Lamont Rogel. We we're about to do our shout outs, and his birthday's coming up. Mm-hmm. But Lamont told me, "Hey, listen, you've written about James Baldwin, but you don't have a lot about James Baldwin, right?" And I was like, "You know what? Thank you." Right. Okay, I, let me retool this. Yeah, and so you know we're about to do four men. In, we're going to do four men in Paris in October. Yeah, and James Baldwin character is a more principal version, <laughs> and mm-hmm. there's more juice in it. Right. So nice. yeah, hopefully she responded well, well to I, what she told I, her. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I actually didn't say anything about it. Okay. Just because I didn't want to. Yeah, that's that's another study. That's a yeah, dangerous <laughs> place to be. Yeah. Uh, and she <laughs> sounds like it wasn't a play in development. This is a play actually up. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it was. It was. Uh, I mean, they were making changes to the script the whole time. Okay. 
okay. like you know mm-hmm. into the the right. first month of it going up. Right. But um, but yeah, it was just the kind of well, thing. Maybe you could have said something. Well, maybe, but like it was the kind of thing where I, it was just so there was just so much with it, and then I'm so new to the the industry period. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you know my response was largely you know emotional too. Right. And so I didn't want that to kind of seep through because sure. I'm still working on you know kind of controlling that as best I, hear I can. You. Right. I totally hear yeah. you. And um, but yeah, uh, and so like that that kind of just swayed me to just do things where I wouldn't really end up in that situation. You know, the mm-hmm. probability of that kind of thing happening wouldn't be. Uh-huh. So I would, like, really, like, know my plays that I would right. going into, mm-hmm. know that, yo, I'm an actor, I'm doing it professionally, and it's the way I want to do it. Sure. You know, it's sure. not about equity. Cause, I mean, you know, regardless, it's like I'm, I'm probably still going to make more money doing sales or, or, or if I did try to get a, right. a paralegal gig somewhere, right. a legal right. assistant gig. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'd probably True. just keep the, 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 the way I got it going. And it's just fun. Like I said, yeah. the, telling the stories and then, and then finding the character, and then and t- for me, like, if I can find, um, if I can stumble upon, sort of the logic behind, because I might not always agree. Like, I obviously don't agree with Steve, like who's right. playing in Streetcar. Sure, uh-huh. but you know, I can't. I have to find a way to, to make sense out of why a person would act this way or be sure. this way. Exactly right. Right. Of course. And, and so in doing that, a mm-hmm. lot of times I find forgiveness for people right. who aren't in the play. Like, right. Right. they've done shit to me, and I'm like, right. oh, man, like. Yeah, right. that's why. Right? Yeah. yeah, I understand so better. Damn, that's what happened to you. Wow. Right. Right. right, exactly. And when you sit with it, and you actually yeah. sit with something, uh, you know, it's uh, you may not get empathy if you haven't been through it, but it, yeah. it, like the amount of sympathy and compassion you have for someone, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you're like, wow, you're really not the monster here, right? You know? mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do as an actor. You have to find a way to embrace the character that you're doing. Yeah, so yeah. awesome. Well, all right. Well, we're about to wrap it up. And obviously, um, Ubuntu is very happy with you. I mean, you know, like you only, mm-hmm. I think you only did maybe one performance, and they were like, hey, we want you a part of a company. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. you're doing something right. Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. And, uh, and Death of a Salesman, it was yeah. funny because he had – there was one particular character, the boss, and it was another one of these moments where we're seeing a black man. You know, <laughs> this is what the audience is looking at, this black man telling this old white man, and he's the son mm. – you know, EJ was playing the son of the original boss. Yeah. So he has basically been given mm-hmm. the power in this situation. Yeah. And he's got to tell him, he's trying to be nice about it, that he's taking him off the road. But eventually yeah. he has got to say in the scene, yeah. I'm firing you. Yeah. 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 And to see, you know, it was such a microcosm of where we are in America right now. Yeah. This white man going, but wait a minute, this isn't the way it was. And why is it this way? Mm-hmm. And without us coloring it in any way, yeah. EJ just sort of almost danced through that scene. There was just this joy that he got to have in that scene <laughs> that just brought it to life. You wow. know, it's like this character on some level is oblivious yeah. to what's going on with yeah. Willie, yeah. but he's also got something hard that he's trying to gently bring to Willie, and yeah. eventually he just can't. He has yeah. to come out with it. And, you know, you don't have to bring the color. I mean, the audience can bring their own color into right. it. It's like, hey, you know, yeah. somebody's getting fired. And, right. you know, you're the young guy who has to deliver the news. And it's funny, the review for that, uh, the, the uh, I can't remember which review it was, mm-hmm. but but, uh, but they were saying, like, one of the words they used to describe me as right. Howard was infuriating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. Awesome. <laughs> it, was just, it was just wonderful the way that happened. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen with Streetcar. Yeah, it's going to be, gonna be fantastic. I can't wait. Shout outs. Shout outs. <coughs> um, birthdays. Birthday. Woo. What happened? 
I went to somebody. And oh, here we go. Upcoming yeah. birthdays. It's so funny. No birthdays today. I'm kind of shocked. But um, uh, Rich Sargent um, uh, runs a theater company, Left Left Coast, I think it's called, Left Coast Theater mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Um, they do a lot of original works and musicals and stuff, really powerful stuff. Um, I met him through the Shelton Theater. So anyway, oh, wow. his birthday's coming up. Kristen Muir. Uh, Danielle Levin, who is an amazing actress, I know through word for word, um, and then we did a thing with uh, what is now Livermore Shakes. Um, she's working at Pixar now, but she still keeps her hand in as an actor. Mm. Oh, in fact, they have a company, I think it's called Symmetry Theater Company that's doing stuff in Berkeley. Uh, Taylor Valentine, young actor that I met many years ago who's now in New York and directing. Uh, Barry Graves, uh, black actor, who had moved to Vegas, and I thought I heard he moved back. I hope he has. He's a fantastic young man. Uh, Joy Meads um, works on the development side, playwriting and such, oh, and beautiful. is an incredible woman. And Catherine Castellano, who I believe is up in Ashland right now. I saw some of the promo photos for the Ashland season. I thought hmm. I saw her being picked mm-hmm. up. And Denmo Ibrahim, 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 who is um, – has a company, Mugwumpin, here. And, in fact, they've got a show going up at the, um, what's it called, the Z-Space Below over in San Francisco. Oh, the Z-Space is awesome. Yeah, well, they're going to be doing a show there, her little company. Um, so, yeah, birthdays for this week. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. And I've got a couple of birthdays. Um, today, Casey DeCaney Marshall, uh, I stage managed her, I think it was um, – I think it was 100 years of political theater. It's a long, long time ago. She uh, was she was not a member of EastEnders, but she was hired by EastEnders, uh, and she's doing she's was a fantastic actress. So it's her birthday is today. Uh, Lamont Rigel, who I uh, mentioned, he he is was a fantastic black actor uh, in the Bay Area, but now he's at, at the Midwest now. His birthday is Wednesday, the 17th. Um, an old high school friend of mine who is an actress and a teacher at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Precious Porter. Her birthday is on the 16th. Uh, I thought I had one other. Oh, I, I get to tell. I'm going to tell a quick story. So Please. Noel Katz, uh, his birthday is on Wednesday. So I'm doing Nia, the musical, and I had written the musical Nia, and it performed October of last year. And someone, t- someone taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, there's someone in the audience who wants to see you. It's a woman named Sandy. It's like, okay, I don't know of anybody named Sandy. And I meet this woman, Sandy. And she's like, hi, you don't know who I am, but I'm a friend of Noel Katz. And he found out that you were doing this musical and I wanted to come see you. It's like, <coughs> Noel Katz. I hadn't – this goes back to when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Just coming out of school, I had stage managed a company called Third Step Theater Company. This is in 1992. Wow. And he was a musical writer at the time, a fantastic musical writer, and he was involved in – it was a series of one acts that, were, that was being put together, called, a piece called Corner Pieces. And I'm like, I hadn't met him since 1992. It's 2017. That's 25 years. <laughs> how in the world does he know me, and how did he know that, that this musical is happening? And he's like, well, he's on your Facebook feed, and he saw it, and so he wants to, you know – wanted me to say, hi, how are you doing, and all that sort of stuff, and I get to see the musical, and I get to tell them about it. Mm. It was, like, amazing. And that's uh, incredible. The 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 um, We talk about the community of theater mm. and how people you've acted with, let's say, two, three, even 10, 20 years ago, can still connect with you and still remember you. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just a wonderful thing. So Noel Katz, his birthday is on the 17th. Um, on the 18th, Jennifer, Jennifer Medeiros. 
I acted with her in Candide. Uh, she's a fantastic soprano singer and a fantastic actress, and her birthday is on the 18th. She's a cancer survivor, survivor as well. Wow. So that's fantastic. And Friday, Jackie Castellejo Guegona. She is a uh, Filipina actress. I've acted with her in on um, at Bendelstiff. Uh, we did Stories High together, and I'm trying to get her on to uh, do uh, I'm an American too. Oh, great! That podcast, mm-hmm. and her birthday's on Friday, and that's it. Yeah. Well, those are the birthdays those are the that I birthdays. have. <laughs> um, shows coming up. Um, I've talked about Elizabeth Carter Bondage going to be at the uh, costume shop. Uh, today's their first preview, and they're doing six performances. I don't know when and how, but if you want to find out more about that ACT costume shop. Uh, Black Rider, which Elizabeth is in as a performer, amazing singer, wonderful performance. Wonderful performances all the way around, and that extended at the Shotgun Players and will go through next weekend. Um, it's mostly sold out, but uh, we were able to get in last week, you know, basically walking up. So it's they have cancellations. They have they said there's always a few empty seats. Um, what else is coming? Oh, duh, I'm <laughs> I'm leaving here to go do this performance for this film thing. Oh, uh, yeah. It's called Summer, Winter, Spring, and uh, it'll open. There's an opening of the gallery today, today from 5 to 8. It's free. There will probably be wine and cheese, San Francisco, Minnesota Street Project. And, um, and I can talk more about... Um, about Lucia Berlin stories as we get closer to it, but that's coming up. Oh, duh. And of course, um, Streetcar Named Desire will be oh, coming February up on Ubuntu soon. Yeah. You that's can right. definitely February. say more about it if you want. Yeah, yeah. February 2nd, we'll be running the whole month. Hopefully, it'll get extended. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, come out. Uh, come have a good time. It'll be Friday through Sunday. And uh, yeah, it'll be a powerful show, guys. Fantastic. And uh, the only other thing that I have to plug is a Monday Night Playground. That'll be happening on the 15th, January the 15th, um, Martin Luther King Day. Our good friend Kari Moy will be in that. That's a good friend in of mine. Oh, too. Playground, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is Kari, you know yeah. Kari? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm reading uh, Playground, uh, Planet Earth Arts New Play Festival, six original short plays inspired by the topic, Probable Future or Possible Future. So who knows what that means? Oh, that's a uh, playground. That's at Berkeley Rep. Exactly. Uh, Monday. Rep. Oh, yep. Yeah. Monday at 8 p.m. Uh, Carl and I actually, he understudied with me the first time on that, uh, at the Berkeley Rep when I did my first understudy gig there. Is that right? Yeah. Me and him understood. So he understood. Oh, oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was amazing. Now see, you know, six degrees. Yeah, he was one of those guys. He was one of those people that just like took me under the wing, gave me anything I needed. He was, he was awesome. He's, he's wonderful to work yeah. with. Fantastic. So that's that. Okay. Well, did you have fun, man? This was amazing. I was so nervous initially. Oh. Yeah, like you guys really <laughs> buttered me up here, man. I yeah. Plus, yeah. you were here last week, so you saw saw yeah. some actions. Yeah. Well, maybe even more nervous. <laughs> no, you're fantastic, and uh, so wonderful thing, especially racism. I mean, I love talking about you know like um, just cultural stuff because mm-hmm. although. This is a theater podcast. Still, there's a theater of life. There's also right. things happening in our lives there is. Right. that we bring onto stage. And it and gets reflected on stage. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. So I'm glad that uh, we can talk about all that stuff. Thank you guys so much for having me. Mm-hmm. So here's my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. Just uh, click on that purple uh, icon that you see, and uh, you'll find us. You can also find the Yay on iTunes if you're on a laptop or a desktop. Just click on iTunes, click on Store. Don't worry, you're not going to buy anything. Use the search engine on the upper left-hand side and search for the Yay. You can find us. For Android users, you can either download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. 
The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, and we will take it from there. Well, and we never even acknowledged we hit our 50th That's right, our 50th podcast last time. So, so thank you so much for everyone, and please, for goodness sake, like us, not like us, subscribe. It really, really helps, and we're trying to get a uh, – I think we can get an advertiser very soon. I'm, I'm in the talks with some folks, so yeah. we'll see. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think about it because we have no idea. I mean, I have a, 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 a algorithm um, app, I mean, a, um, a website that I use to track analytics. But you know, it's always good to hear from folks. Right. So let us know whether you like us, not, don't like us, or whatever. So there you go. Thank you so much, and we, we got to find a better sign off. And we are out.